Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children, 18 plus. You are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and a very special guest. I'm still here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am still on a quest to interview as many mega producers as I can get in front of. And today I am in front of the one, the only Andy Burton, a $117 million producer in 2021, a $120 plus million producer in 2020. This dude is not just at the top of the game, he's at the top of the top of the top of his game, and he's here to talk to us about his journey, how he got there, where he's going, and what we can learn from his experiences. Andy Burton, thank you for being a guest on the, one, on, on, on the Loan Officer Podcast. Happy to be here, buddy. Happy to be here. How long have we known each other? 10 years. Yeah. We, are going, we have been friends for 10 years. And what's exciting about this, you probably don't know this. I told um, I had the opportunity to, uh, to also interview Molly Nadu, another mega producer from your market too, right? Yeah. You both are in the Twin Cities. We are. Um, do you ever compete against her out of curiosity? Never. Yeah. That's, isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Two mega producers working in the same market, yet they never compete against each other. Yeah, she's on the outside of the metro, like Northwest. I'm right, kind of right in the heart of it. Yeah, but it just shows how much business is out there. Tons. Right? T- tons of business to be had. But, um, but no, people know you, and I don't know if you know that. Our, our fans, our listeners, our viewers, they've heard me talk about Andy Burton. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're 190 <laughs> plus episodes into this journey, John Coleman and I are. And, and I like to talk about my friends in the industry. Right, because I learned so much from you all. I just take what I learned from you and then I put it out on, on video and audio to let others also learn from it. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool for me to get an opportunity to get face-to-face and belly-to-belly with you so we can actually meet and talk to the man, the myth, and the legend. Cool. So thank you for taking the time. Um, so let's do this because you and I have a long week ahead of us. Right, We're here at our national sales conference. We both work for Waterstone Mortgage. So we are in Nashville, Tennessee because we're here to celebrate. We're here to network. We're here to learn. And uh, we have a lot of that to do. So our schedule is pretty jam-packed. You and I probably have about half an hour where we can sit down and let me pick your brain. Um, and I do want to talk about, hey, what's it like to close $117 million, right? Like how many units was that? 364. 364 units. But I'm more intrigued with how you got there. I'm more intrigued with the journey. So how did you enter into the mortgage industry? I'm guessing you didn't like go to high school, then college with the idea that you want to be a mortgage banker. Correct. Okay. So walk me through that journey. How did you stumble across the mortgage industry? What originally started because I wanted to be a realtor. There's a story behind that. Okay. Why'd you want to be a realtor? Uh, That's a stupid idea, Andy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in my previous life, I was a union iron worker. Blue collar guy. Totally blue collar. Yep. And I always thought that I worked extremely hard and worked with some really great people. But it, it was a really interesting thing. It, so, I was a, so I was an apprentice and you would hustle. This was hard work building bridges and buildings and. In 20 degree weather. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah more like negative 20 in Minnesota. Yeah. And you would work so hard and your reward is they would offer you overtime on Saturdays if you were one of the hardest workers. No way. Hey, Andy, great job. You worked your butt off. How about you come back and work another eight hours on Saturday? Yep. The hard workers got overtime. Okay. And I remember thinking like, this makes no sense. Like I should be able to be rewarded for the effort that I put in 
I'm out working the person next to me, you know, for the union, it's, it's a great job. And you, so I'm not ripping on anybody for that. But I just always thought if I put in more effort, I should get more back. Okay. And, and, and you found your way through real estate, or at least you thought. You thought, hey, I'll become a realtor. Yeah. Okay. Because that is a profession like our profession in the loan origination business where the right amount of effort allows you to dictate your income potential. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Did but, you ever become a realtor? No. Okay. But usually there needs to be a catalyst for change. Most yes. people, once you get into like a nice, comfortable job where you start making some money and then all of a sudden you start buying things and you're kind of trapped, right? Like into the lifestyle that you have. So, uh, you know my story and you've heard it quite a few times. But I want to hear, well, again. I think the audience would, would yeah. totally benefit learning from your story, right? Because mm -hmm. your story is an amazing one. People can't see this. Um, I don't, you know, I'll let you tell your story. I won't tell your story. Yep. So cool. let's, let's jump into it. Cool. Let's do it. So, uh, where are we at right now? It's 2022, January, 2022. Yes. And, uh, I'm 42 years old. So going back 17 years ago, June 12th, 2004, I got into a horrific motorcycle accident. It was entirely my fault. I was going 155 miles an hour down a country road. Because you could? Because I could. North of Hudson, Wisconsin. I was riding a crotch rocket. And uh, I, from what I remember, because I don't really know exactly, uh, I jumped a hill. And I, when I got to the other side of the hill, I got head shake. So actually, let's backtrack a little bit. Okay. So Andy Burton, you know, 17 years ago, you got to think that, you know, I like to think that I live my life in the fast lane, right? Yeah. So that I like life in the fast lane. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I liked fast cars, fast bikes, fast boats. Some would say fast women, you know, I just made decisions fast and lots of bad ones. I probably wouldn't even like the person that I was uh, 17 that, years ago. Yeah. No. W were you yeah. a lender by then? 17 years ago? No, you I were not a mortgage lender. I was a union iron you, worker. You're a union iron worker. Okay. Yeah. Making really good money. Cause that is a, it's a really solid profession. Anything in the trades is a solid profession. Yep. You're making good money. You're getting the overtime. They're paying you time and a half and you're spending all of that money Every on dollar. fast cars, fast boats, fast bikes, and fast women. Yep. Pretty much. Okay. So, and <laughs> so, um, so I come up and over a hill, uh, end up jumping it. I, uh, when I land, I get what's called head shake. That's where the front end of your bike uh, shakes. Mm -hmm. And I end up high siding the bike. That means your bike flips and it lands on the asphalt. And uh, I slide off the road. I hit a tree. I spin around. Um, I hit a driveway culvert, which is like this steel culvert that runs under the driveway out in the country where we live so the water can run through the ditch. So that driveway. So hard, cold metal. Metal. Yep. With like a sharp factory edge. So that cut my right leg off about uh, four inches below my right knee. And I launched into the air about 15 feet in the air and about 75 feet forward and landed in um, the ditch. And so bike went one direction. I went one direction. My leg went the other direction. Your leg stayed. Yeah, leg stayed. Like, so you know what? I'm going to stay here in this culvert. It actually went 13 feet inside the culvert. So that shows you how fast I was going. So 155 miles an hour, we disconnected, went a bunch of different directions. That's where I kind of came to it. And I was never really knocked out, but it just all happened really, really fast. And uh, so I realized what was going on. I, I thought I was deep into a cornfield and uh, I kind of looked down and kind of uh, the best way to explain it is everything went black and white. I was not in a lot of pain. And um, I looked down and my leg is just mangled and you can see what would look like shoestrings 
So like oh. strings going out all over the place. It's Are those actually, your tendons? Or? Yeah, my ligaments and tendons oh. were because when my leg got ripped off, like <laughs> they detached from like my calf and my ankle and everything. So I looked down and saw that and I grabbed onto my leg, like self tourniqueting it. And all of a sudden everything came back into color. So because I was bleeding out so fast. And fortunately, I heard someone up on the street. I thought that I was like way into a cornfield because I couldn't see because mm-hmm. I was in the ditch with uh, where we live. There's like tall, like uh, natural grass. that's like three, four feet tall. But I didn't realize that they could stand and look down and see right where I'm at. So I spun around and started to crawl, like army crawl towards people. And as I was grabbing on to the blades of grass, it was like pure fire because my hands were skinned. Oh, from so, that, yeah, road rash? From road rash. Oh. So I'm, I'm crawling my way through the ditch. I can hear the people saying, like, he's over here. So, I, again, I'm thinking I'm way out. I don't realize they can see where I am. And I go to stand up on my left leg, not knowing that my left leg was broken, too. So I stepped on my left leg, and it bent over like an L. Oh, And I ended gross. up falling backwards. So when they came up to me, here I am laying there. I have shorts, flip-flops a tank top and uh, a helmet on. So fortunately I put my helmet on cause I could not fi- find my sunglasses. Yeah. No way. Yeah. True story. True story. I mean that, that saved your life. Yeah. I, I can only imagine that. Yeah. Saved there's your life. road rash all over. There's no question I would have died without it. Wow. Yeah. So that tree that I hit, it was six feet in the air, eight inches. It ended up falling over the next day. Kind of, kind of eerie. Um, so here I am, they come down, they, they stabilize me, they tourniquet me, take off my helmet. Lo and behold, it's, it's a guy that I grew up with that happened to be uh, Tony DeBruzzi is his name. And he was a former first responder. So he had all the kits, he had all the right things, took off his belt, they grabbed a rubber tie-down strap, uh, tourniqueted me, you know, called 911, called my parents, got an ambulance there as quick as we can. And uh, the ambulance came, they couldn't find my leg, they didn't know where it was. Eventually one of the firefighters that had came to the scene fire hooked it out of the culvert, they packed it on ice. Thinking they could maybe save it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) And they sent me away in the ambulance. So on the way to the hospital, uh, I got intubated. So they had to strap me down because I was in shock. Like at this time I am absolutely in pain, complete shock. And you can remember this? Yes, Okay. totally, vividly. Screaming like I don't want to die, you know. Uh, so they they have me in the ambulance. We're heading to the hospital, and they end up intubating me and just put me into like a drug-induced coma, and then and that's when I thought I died. So because everything started to go away, saw the light, I said goodbye to my family, and I really wow. did think that I was dead. That was it. Yep. And they drove me all the way to Regents Hospital <coughs> in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, a trauma unit, and. Um, I ended up waking up the next day after like 12 hours worth of surgeries that they stabilized me and took me out of a coma. And that's basically the next book on Andy Burton. Wow. So that was the end of chapter one, beginning of chapter two. Yeah. Whole new book. Whole not new even book. not even a chapter. So fast yeah, forwarding so. <laughs> a whole book. <laughs> yeah. A whole book. A There's whole the first book. the first 25 years. Yep. And now it's been the pre the, the next 17 years. Yeah, absolutely. So what, um, what, what was that recovery like? Like how long did it take you to physically and mentally recover from that accident? Yep. So to, for perspective, um, 
So I broke my back and my tailbone. I lost my right leg. I almost lost my left leg. I had to have it in a halo for a month to allow the swelling to go down. I got road rash and skin grafts all over my arms. Um, I broke both of my fingers and was just as beat up as you could possibly be. I was in the trauma unit for almost a month. Wow. So, um, and then I got transitioned to my parents' um, home, actually, and, and lived in their kitchen. Humbling. And Yeah, very humbling. In a kitchen, in a hospital bed where the nurse would come to you. And I'm very fortunate that my grandma came and stayed with me. But it was a long road to recovery from there. So I had to learn to eventually get out of bed and sit in a chair. And then um, I learned how to, I'll never forget uh, the nurse coming and showing me how to roll over in bed. Because I hadn't rolled off my back for a couple of months. Uh, I laid in bed for so long, Interesting. I, I wore a bald spot in the back of my head. And then that led to a bald spot in the front of your head. Yep, totally. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> that happens. So it it ended up being a multi-year recovery. So I transitioned from, um, you know, my bed. Eventually, I had an electric wheelchair because I was so weak to be able to, to get myself around and broken fingers, too. So and then I went into a normal wheelchair, eventually got a new prosthetic leg. And with that prosthetic, I learned how to walk on a walker and then crutches, and then a cane, and then you know being fully independent again. There were some major setbacks uh, in between. I ended up having total of 12 surgeries. Wow, like 12 yeah. separate surgeries over yeah. a course of how many years? Three, four years? Two years. Over two years. Yeah, I That's didn't work full time for two years. Wow. Uh, did you ever give any thought to going back into the union? I did at the time. Okay. I'm trying to think about, like, all right, what's my next step? You know, I think a key life lesson that I learned from this is, you can go through a major event like this and you still don't change overnight. Or like, I'm just still the same person, just completely shattered, right? And trying to find the, the, the new me. Yeah. Well, I can only imagine something like this breaks you. But yeah. it breaks you, obviously, physically. That's, the, that's what people can see. But it breaks you emotionally. It breaks you mentally. Yeah. And you have to rebuild. It did. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I was able to recover from it. So I proved to myself what I could do yeah. if I set my mind to it. And I had never really been a winner. To that, no. that that stage of my life, you know, I was a high school dropout, ended up going back and uh, graduating, you know, late with uh, summer school classes yeah. and a really nice counselor that pushed a couple credits my way <laughs> just to be able to make it work. Went to college for a few years. That didn't really work out. Went into the union iron working thing we talked about. That really wasn't my thing. So I never really figured out something that was my my niche. And to become the mortgage industry. Yeah, I didn't win at sports. I didn't just wasn't a winner. And uh, so that was the first thing that I won was learning how to walk again and the determination of exercising. One thing I was is I was fit a lot of that time. So then I just went back to that, yeah. to getting in the gym and exercising and doing my therapy. And it transitioned me to the mortgage industry. So a friend of mine, uh, so, so when I had a lot of time to sit around, I really didn't. I'm like, all right, maybe I'm going to go back to college. I'll finish my degree. I got a couple of years left of that. So I started self-studying math books. And then I started networking with some friends. And I'm like, you know, I, I want to get into sales that I'm paid on what I do. Yeah. Paid right? on effort. Paid so, on effort. Yep. And so then immediately to me, real estate, right? This, you know, keep in mind, this is 2004. Okay. So we're in the heat of the real yes. estate boom. It's kind of yeah. like right now. It was <laughs> today, easy. Right? Yeah. And... um so I'm like, real estate sounds good, but I couldn't walk. 
So I had a really hard time walking even across grass or up and down stairs. I'm like, how am I supposed to confidently walk around a home? You know, I, since I had experience in the, the trades and like carpentry, sheetrock and concrete, I'm like, oh, I know a lot about houses. Mm-hmm. This is a value. I can like essentially see through walls to be able to see uh, for people. But I couldn't walk. So this is the problem. I'm, but what I can do is I can sit at a desk. Okay. And make phone calls. Even though I'd never done that before, I'd done some retail sales in college. So networking with friends, all of a sudden someone introduced me to someone in the mortgage industry. And back then, man, it, like it, you didn't have to do anything. There wasn't even licensing. There was nothing. It was just, here's a business card. You know, get out there. Here's a rate sheet. Yep. yep. You're not even, yeah, exactly. Like rate <coughs> sheets from multiple companies, go out there and now go get a loan. And then it's like deer in headlights. And that's what you did. That's what I did. And, it's and you survived. Now, I and did. you survived. I did. And it's funny to think now that I was giving people financial advice. And I was horrible with my finances. I didn't own a house. I was in debt. It was a bad scenario for me to be in to give other people advice. But I found my way. So Well, and, and you had a massive life event that taught you, which, which I think is one of my favorite lessons that I think we each as individuals get to learn at some point in our life, which is, yes, you can. Right? Like, some people get to learn it at 17. Some people don't get to learn it until 57. You learned it at roughly, what, 25 years of age? Mm-hmm. That, yes, you can. Like, yes, you can achieve something if you put your mind to it. Yes, you can recover. Yes, things will get better if you just stick with it. So you at least had that one big win. Like David Goggins talks about, like, it's the, the uh, story in the cookie jar, right? You had that one story that you could push, push forward to. But now you're going to go become a mortgage lender. You have no idea what you're doing, but you're willing to give it your all. Yeah. The biggest thing that I learned at that time was probably vision. That what I learned with some of these uh, surgeries, where they would say, okay, we're going to have to have another surgery on you. But if you do this, you're going to be better. And then at times I was in so much pain. I'm like, okay, if this is going to set me back three months, six months or a year, but big picture in my life, I'm still young. Like, I'll take this setback now okay. to be able to move forward. Yeah. So then when I transitioned to the mortgage industry, it was always about the big picture mm-hmm. of like, okay, this is going to be really rough for a while. But did did you have a good mentor in the very beginning? I didn't. You didn't? No. So, okay. well, how about this? I had someone that helped me out to the best of their ability. Todd, he's still a friend of mine. So he's a good mentor of showing me the basics. Yep. How about that? Like LTV, DTI, this is Fannie, this is FHA, whatever the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So I want to clarify that. Yeah. In case Todd Todd watches this. So I did to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. right? Because the industry was changing a lot once I started getting into it full time. So so that started to be full time was like 07. So then whatever he was teaching me completely changed Mm -hmm. because the mortgage industry melted down. So over time, over the next like 15 years, you know, uh, basically I, I... ended up seeking out a lot of mentors and coaches to be able to help me build my business. And I had to build my business during the worst time possible, right? The economic collapse. Well, I was going to ask you, when you got in 04, did you have immediate success? Like, was was there a point where you're like, this is what I was born to do? No. So No. Absolutely not. So you weren't like bitten by the bug? No. Okay. So the day I got off of crutches from the like 10th or 11th surgery, I rebroke my, my left leg was the day I started in the mortgage industry. I closed five loans in the first year, made 14 grand. Get out of town. Yeah. Five five loans. Five loans. So the guy who closed almost 400 units (coughs) last year, your first year, you got a whopping five. Yep. You you call that a bad week. Yes. Right? You call that now a bad week. Yeah. And that was your year. 
That's so humbling. I sometimes love it. that could be a good afternoon, depending on the month. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Um, so it ended up, you know, I think the the reality behind that is realizing that you know I made very little and I worked a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how like the amount of effort I had, and I just started going out and meeting realtors and joining networking groups, and I joined everything. What joined, what kept you going in those early years? Like what what mentally? When you only closed five loans in your first 12 months, you only made 14 grand. What made you sign back up to say, I'm going to do this next year? I just didn't want to be a failure. Okay. I had a massive yeah. fear of failure. Okay. That just kept me motivated and going forward. And I had absolutely nothing to fall back on. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't have, I couldn't go back to my old skills of being a construction worker. Yeah. Your uh, body's broken. Yeah. So it didn't Couldn't work. sell real estate because you couldn't show properties. Yeah. Because your body was broken. So then I okay. bartended on the weekends, which was really hard to stand on my prosthetic leg. So I'd work during the week and bartend on the weekends. So then, you know, we got a few years into it, three, four years, and I started to get a little bit of traction. Like, okay, this is kind of working. I'm starting to make an okay living. And, and like, to you, what was an okay living? 80 grand a year. Yeah. Yeah. Which that is right. I mean, yeah. if the median household income is roughly 55 to 65 grand a year and you're making 80, then yeah. yeah. That's an end of one individual making more than, than many households. Totally. And I was still horrible with my money. Horrible. Like, so just blew every dollar. Still just, fa- fast money, uh, fast yeah. cars, fast in, women, like uh, yeah. in fast, debt, fast, fast Andy. In debt. I, you know, starting to slow down a little bit at that time because I was cracking on 30. Okay. So, um, so I was learning and I just knew that I'm building a foundation. So I'm building a database. So I'm meeting all these people. I'm pumping them into a database. I'm in the Rotary. I'm in B&I. I'm in the Chamber of Commerce. I'm like starting networking groups. I'm in like Young Rotary. I'm in like- So ready, let's stop right there. Anyone taking notes at home? He was out networking. Mm -hmm. Like I'm gonna give a presentation on Friday where I've basically boiled down what we do for a living. And this is like not just mortgage related. This is in my world, in my experience over the past 20 years, this is business in general. I think there's three things that we have to do. We have to always be learning. We have to always be teaching and we have to always be networking. Mm-hmm. If you can do those three things, I don't care what your industry is, you'll be wildly successful. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing you talk and I'm like, oh yeah. How did Andy go from five units in a year to five units on a Friday afternoon, right? In yeah. terms of closings? Well, early on, you saw the power and the benefits of networking. Yeah, that's where, if I would have had better direction at that stage. Now, my original mentor that got me into business, he's gone. <laughs> I'm working for a different smaller brokerage. It's a very difficult time because mortgage companies are closing. Oh, yeah. And things it was the like, mortgage meltdown. It was 70% of all originators left the industry and 90% of all mortgage companies closed. So check this In out. my for first our, two years. Yeah, yeah, for, for our listeners, Andy yeah. and I lived through this, right? Yeah. And it's one of those, like, my kids love this. I always yell out, Kelly Clarkson, Kelly Clarkson. When I say Kelly Clarkson to my kids, it, it's her song, If It Doesn't Kill You, It Makes You Stronger, mm-hmm. right? And, and as a professional in 07, if you were able to stick it out and get to 2010, yeah, what didn't kill you made you stronger. Yeah. But we used to have this website called the Implodometer. It was so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that you could go on a website and see who imploded today, who's going out of business today. I had three mortgage companies I worked for in the same 12 months, and it wasn't by my own choice. It's because two of them went out of business. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I ended up having to hop from a company because you Mm -hmm. can see the writing on the wall. Yep. Like, uh, you know, I went through some tough stretches where I had $5 in my checking account. It was ugly. This was was just a little over 10 years ago. Yeah, 12 years ago now. So this is going back to like 2008. Mm -hmm. Pretty rough. But by the time we got to like 2009, 2010, 
the industry is shaking itself out. Rates have come down a little bit. All this networking I'm doing is starting to get a little bit of traction, right? And I'm making a livable wage. By 2010, I'm able to buy my first home. And then by um, 2010, I started to realize that the golden ticket for loan officers is realtors. And I did not know. So, so you didn't know that? No. That's no. what you're saying. If you had had a mentor more like you could be to someone today, yeah. you would say you need to network and build a relationship with the realtors from Jump Street. Yeah, I did not know that. You so were you're I, hitting I, B and I's, but you were hitting yeah, realtors. Okay. I'm hitting the general yeah. community, okay. not the real estate community. So all of a sudden I started to realize this. Like, and I started seeing some trainings about it. And then by 2011, uh, I changed companies. And back then I wanted to do a PM&L model for, as a loan officer. And all of a sudden the game changed. And at the same time, I was introduced to an organization called The Core Training. And it was all about how to prospect to realtors. And I was like, whoa, I had no idea like that. Who, who introduced you to The Core? So my manager, Dave Hill at the time. Okay. And uh, he had just gotten back from a core summit. He's like, you know what? This isn't the right stage for me in my career. He's in the back half of his career. Uh, you know, he's kind of playing the last couple of holes, basically. Yeah. Yep. And I call uh, it taking a knee. It's uh, it's first and goal from the 10. Yeah. But I'm just going to take a knee because I'm up by 17. Yeah. He's like, but this is for you. Yeah. So he gave me the stack of CDs. And I listened to every single one like five times. And I was like, oh, my gosh, taking notes. And I CD stands for compact disc Yeah. <laughs> for, for our, our younger listeners. You might want to Google that. Yeah. But uh, we had a previous episode. Tim Davis was talking about how he launched his LO career by utilizing CD. So I think it's funny. We have like back to back episodes now where some of our more successful old school vets are talking about how you use CDs. Yeah. You use them to learn. Totally. Because okay. YouTube still wasn't really a thing. Yeah. You know, so people weren't posting a lot of content to learn on YouTube. Now you can just go on YouTube. Oh yeah. YouTube university taught me how to swim. Yeah. 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 There's many people because this show's on YouTube. They're like, yeah, they're learning this industry from people like you and I because of YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah. But for you, it was, it was a CD and the CDs were put out by a company called the core, which we talk about Molly, who was on the show. She talked a, a lot about her experiences uh, in the core. We've had Mike Smalley on the show before yep. he's a core graduate and you're talking about some of the best of the best. It absolutely is. It's like taking the elite from every single, like the top 10 yep. from every company and putting them together in a room. Yeah. So it's, it's a very competitive group of people. So it's really cool to learn from them. So at that time, I get introduced to that with the idea of like, hey, I've always wanted to hire an assistant. So I'm horribly disorganized, horribly disorganized. Like I will lose that, you know, whatever I have with me as I'm walking just across the room. I don't know. It's just a skill. You'd lose head. your right leg if it wasn't yeah, attached. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would. And uh, you ever lost your right leg? Uh, I have not, fortunately. <laughs> right. Like, I've gone skydiving and had to tie it to myself to make sure it didn't <laughs> fall off. But uh, so. In this time, I learned how to hire an assistant, right? So I'm like, all right, great. So finally, like this is, so we're talking 2011, new company. I got a model that you actually can get a little bit of revenue going off of really low comp. In, in my world, it was low comp, like 80 bips on an average of like 180. Okay. So you, yeah. like, you had to kind of do some loans to make any money. And all of a sudden, I got on a comp plan that paid back. <laughs> and uh, with that, I did not spend the money. So all the new money that I was making, I saved. So I finally like started to make some smart was decisions. It, was it you going into the core and following core principles that you finally figured out how to be less of a mess in terms of your personal finances? No. No. <coughs> I had a coach before that that okay. started teaching me on that. So I've I had a coach 
starting in like 2007. What? I, um, so I'm sorry to cut you off. You had a coach. Yeah. How did you know you needed a coach? Because I had no idea what to do. And so I, you and just you just had this burning desire, like, hey, look, if I want to go become a great powerlifter, I probably should hire a personal trainer who knows a lot about powerlifting. Yeah. Right. If if I want to be a great mortgage professional, I should go hire a coach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I I had good people in in my life in terms of career, but they didn't have like that coach's mindset mm -hmm. of like do exactly this, this, and this, and then I would go do it. Yeah. Right. So they didn't have that style. Uh, to them. I, th I think part of it is the way the mortgage industry was in the 2000s. It was like the wild, wild west. It was. Yeah. So it was. it's a lot. It wasn't very organized. So so then um, I started tightening up my money and, and managing my money a little bit better. So I wasn't completely broke as a joke. And uh, then I hired my first assistant and they quit 60 days later, the day that I was going on vacation, saying they left me a Dear Andy letter <laughs> saying, you stress me out. And I was heading off on my first vacation ever. Like the day of that I was leaving, Ooh. I was like, oh my gosh. And I had like four loans closing the week that I was leaving. And you want to talk about stress. It was terrible. And um, yeah, because they don't teach you how to become a good leader. No, they don't teach you how to become a good manager. I had no idea what that even means. I just thought you just hire someone, you tell them what to do, and they're going to do it. And, that, and by the way, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> well, it does if, you find, if you're fine replacing that person every six to nine months when they finally get tired of your BS. Yep. And they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. That's the run that I was on for the first 18 months. Wow. So I went from my first assistant, I had my third assistant, though, in six months. How do, how do you know when you need an assistant? Uh, so at that time, that's when I got introduced to the car. I started getting uh, some training and I went to an event and all of a sudden I learned about all these people that have all these staff and um, that there's a, like a number, you know, it depends on your market and sales price and commission. It seems to be around four to six closings, maybe seven if you're really organized and you want to work 40 hours a week and you want them to work 40 hours a week. Seems to be somewhere in that four to six range yeah, I, per closing. I, I love your answer. I tend to tell loan officers, figure out how to do 84 loans a year on your own. Mm -hmm. Like figure it out. Figure it out. It will be hard. You'll have some months where you put in some, a lot of hours, but sometimes you need that messiness to figure out where your inefficiencies are so you can get better. And then once you're doing seven units a month, you, you hire an assistant. But then why are you hiring the assistant? Yeah. Because where, where I lose my S... Where I lose my shit is when someone goes, well, of course Andy Burton closes 348 units. Look at all the assistance he has. I'm like, well, BS. Andy was going to close 348 units come hell or high water, right? Like you, it wasn't the assistance that, that did it. You did it. You just had to hire to, to keep up with all of the business you were bringing in the door. Yeah. Like I'm not Michael Jordan. And I know that. Like I'm not some anomaly. Like I'm the most disorganized person in the room. So I actually need extra help yeah. to be able to stay organized. So you got to understand you too. You might be super organized and a great salesperson, which it would be an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Like there's a few people like Nate Jensen at our company like that. He's crazy organized and a good salesperson. Yeah. He's, he's like Michael Jordan. Like there's very few people like that. So then you can't build a model around that. I can't look at him and be like, I'm going to be like Nate. It doesn't work. So I have to build a model around me. So I had three staff people within the first six months of building a team. So, and then that all unwound and fell apart within six months. But you were already closing at that point, seven to 10 transactions a month, pretty I consistently. Yep. And so you wanted more. I did. You, you wanted more. You went to a core summit. You're like, wait a minute. 
that dude or that chick over there, they're impressive, but they're not that much more impressive than I could be, mm-hmm. right? I'm assuming you had that type of, of a epiphany. Like, so if that person can close 25, why can't I do 30? Yeah, so I started kind of, you know, like going up and down. Average loan amounts were a lot less at that time, and maybe I was doing about 18 million. Okay. You know, like, but average loans, I feel like are. Yeah, you're probably doing 100 units. Yeah. You're doing 100 units. Probably right around that. Yep, Yep. seven, seven, 10 closings a month. And so then um, the team kind of unwound again because I hired the wrong people. Mm -hmm. Right idea, wrong people, some good people, just maybe the wrong person for the seat. Uh, did, Did you ever have an issue where it was right person but wrong leader? Yeah, like I was a terrible leader. Yeah. 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 So I was I was not a good manager. I wasn't a good leader. I was a decent prospector. Okay. Is really what it came down to. Yeah. Right? So um, so I ended up leaving this company because they got bought out by another company. They cut cut my commission in half, and that's when I joined Waterstone. Okay. And uh, so I came over to Waterstone. They hired me an assistant. And so I came from a three-person team to no team. So it was really stressful because I had to do everything again. And then learn a new business. And it's 2013 when we had the taper tantrum. So rates went up one and a half points. And uh, I just hustled and worked you know, really, really hard. At that time, I understood about calling realtors and Tuesday updates and managing a database and reaching out to builders and having all my call lists. Yeah, by the way, all things that we teach on this show. Yeah. Right? Like, like I was when, when John and I launched this podcast almost two years ago, one of the first things that we said, unfortunately, you couldn't hear it because our audio sucked back then. But if you could go back and cut through some of the, the bad audio, like I just told people, like, all I want to do on the show is come out and share with you what the industry is doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's not there's, there's no secret sauce. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether it's Todd Duncan teaching it or whether it's it's uh, Carl teaching it or whether it's uh, Todd teaching it or I mean, you Rick teaching it for the most part, it's the same core principles, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that we're all teaching just a matter of, are you going to execute yep. on, on those? So I love you hearing you say, yeah, Tuesday status update calls and Mondays you call realtors. Like there's theme days, right? Yeah. You, you follow a greatness tracker and you do theme days. I've been held accountable for 10 years. Well, the, you the, signed up for that. That's yeah. like anyone who's like made it this far into our episode. Like, well, wait a minute. How do I, you still haven't told me, how do I become a hundred million dollar producer, Andy? Yep. And I'm thinking, well, no, if you listen to the details of what Andy's saying, it's pretty simple. It's A, you got to want it. And B, you got to keep your eye on the prize, right? Yeah. I think at first I had to realize, so I, I, I worked a lot, a really, really lot. So I have, like one thing I've always had is like a vivacious work ethic. Like that thing has that, that there's no question about yep. that. So when I was a construction worker, be bartending on the weekends and like, so the work ethic thing just came natural. To yep. Me. You're not going to outwork Andy. Yeah. So, uh, so that part was good, which ends up being a detriment over time. though. So I, I think everybody can have a period of time that you can hustle and work your butt off. Maybe it's five years or whatever it is, but it's really hard to sustain and have like a healthy lifestyle and have healthy relationships. Well, yeah. And then especially I mean, so, at some point you meet Justine, you guys start a family and yep. yeah, working 60, 70 hours a week is not healthy when you're also trying to be a father, be a good husband, be a good friend, be a good son, et cetera. Yep. Um, but you would recommend that mentally you have to be willing to, at some point say, Hey, for the next five years or eight years or 10 years, I'm gonna get out there and hustle. I'm gonna grind. I'm gonna put in some long hours. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be available nights and weekends if that's what it takes. Because I gotta a build it. I gotta b always be prospecting. But c I have to understand that I'm gonna be messy at first. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never been a manager. I've never been a leader. I've never been a top producer. Like 
the best way to become a good top producer is first become a top producer. Yep. Right? Like first figure out how to do 100 units and then do 200 units and then figure out how to be less of a mess. And then as you build your team, figure out, well, now that I have a team, that means I have to be a good team leader. Well, maybe I should read a book on leadership. Maybe I should go to a course on leadership. What I love, though, that you said that um, it's now like resonating. You've always sought professional help. Always. Right. You always look for a coach. And I'm definitely a lifelong learner. Like yes. I'm the kind of person that's getting up in the morning that's got my earbuds in and I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to you know, either industry specific or outside of our mm -hmm. industry. Um, so I've been, I've been really dedicated in that way and reading and going to classes and finding outside, uh, talent and, and just literally being around other top producers is probably one of the best ways to That's, learn. That is why I love coming to conferences like this, mm -hmm. like whether it's, it's like this one, our company's putting on, but there's other ones that you no, know, I go to that our company doesn't put on. Yep. And yeah, my wife will ask me or my friends will ask me like, why do you do all this? I'm like, because it's the people I meet, like I learned so much hanging out with you after dinner that I maybe did at the breakout session, right? And it's that whole iron sharpens iron. It's every reason why like John and I've done episodes on why you need to go to conferences and conventions, at least two a year, yeah. like two a year, get out there and understand what's going on. What are other people doing and, mm -hmm. and how much are they similar to you or how much are you better than them? But yet they outproduce you because maybe they put in the effort. Yeah. And then, uh, so this is about 2013 as I'm rebuilding my team, get to, Waterstone. We start building a team, hiring people. I think I met you at a core conference section. I don't even know if it was a Waterstone. Did, you you were wearing a Waterstone we shirt in the gym <laughs> yeah. at a core conference. And I went up and started talking to you mm -hmm. and you were there with Mike Smalley. Yep. And then all of a sudden I got all these coworkers. That, that was are, San Antonio, by the way, it was, was it? a core summit in San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. So then all of a sudden all my coworkers are following, they want to build a team. They want to do this. So it's really cool to be around people that we got a shared vision now. Because mm -hmm. my previous company was not that way. So it's like, all right, we're, we're all going in, this, in the same direction, right? And then, uh, then you get in like this messy in the middle time. So I remember someone telling me this. Messy in the middle is like when you're getting into that like 150, 200 units or so. And you're, it, all of a sudden <laughs> it becomes a different set of skills to level up from there. Because you, you, you could just do it on sheer work ethic, have a couple of people that are okay for team members, and you're just hustling. And you're grinding, and they're taking a little bit of the work load off of you. Um, and, you know, so 30 to 50 million, I feel like, is messy in the middle. Now they kind of got exacerbated in the last couple of years because of refis. But prior to that, if you were doing 150, 200 units, mostly purchase, pretty amazing. And um, so then it was really hunkering down on learning how to run an effective team and having metrics and how to have job duties and meetings and like how do you run a meeting like this seems like i'm talking and i'm not even talking to client meeting i'm just talking about how do you run a meeting with a team yeah yeah right yeah like, that's a skill that is, is a skill, skill that has to be practiced it is i read this book called traction by gino wickman and it taught me all about how to have a vision and how to run meetings and it. Because my, my guess is you're at a point now where you're done being the technician. It's time to be the CEO. Is that, would you say that summarizes where you are now in your career? I like, feel like I'm pretty technical. Um, so I like to get into that. So I, I feel like I'm a little bit of a process engineer of like understanding how to create some workflows and stuff like that. It's a learned skill over time that I've had that I think is helpful for efficiencies for me. But uh, at the same, so the, the interesting time, so, so I become a branch manager at this time, 
another LO that works with me. Team go, swells up, you know, kind of bounces between like five and seven support uh, members. Um, and a lot of them we've built from the ground up, which is really interesting. So, uh, so I'm also learning how to be a better salesperson too, right? Like, so you're kind of attacking two separate skills, sales and leadership and management, and they are nothing alike. You can be amazing at one and not the other. Like, Correct. Yeah. And so part of it, I definitely give credit to Waterstone of coming to these seminars and learning from other people and asking questions and just hanging out with, like I've always gravitated to just hang out with the top producers. Right. Like if you're going to have if you're going to go to a conference or have an opportunity to talk to someone like, why wouldn't you just go to talk to the elite and find out and start just asking questions and then wanting to just hang out with them and go to lunch or coffee? Or if I'm going to go sit at a table of people, I'm going to go sit next to someone who's got influence or one of the leadership within the company, too. And what can I learn mm -hmm. from them and just ask them, you know, uh, candid questions. So but then what I found is as the market changed. We had the people, and then I started to get stability and started to get a little bit better. I feel like I'm a decent manager. I'm yeah. gonna give myself decent manager. But it's right? a process, right? Yes. It's a process. You're not done yet. Yeah, right? and now I have really good stability on my team now, 10 years, 11 years later, building a team where I got team members that have been with me for eight years. Think about that, 10 years later, you started hiring assistants in 2007? 11. 11. Yep. So 11 so, years. So 11 years and you finally feel like, hey, I got this. Like, I don't feel like I got it because I feel like you got to have a little bit of that edge. Yeah. Like yeah. that it's like it's going to yep. go away. I still have the fear. Mm -hmm. Even though I have financial stability, I still have a little bit of a fear that it's all going to go away. Like I've been living that since 2009. I, I It's funny. Someone asked me that like, oh, you know, like, like what do you attribute to your current success? I go, there was... In 2010, I said, God, just give me one more year. Mm -hmm. And then in 2011, I'm like, oh my God, if I get three more years like 11 was, I'll be so grateful. And then in 15, I was saying the same thing. And in 2020, I'm saying the same thing. And I'm like, man, like what an awesome, you call it an edge. What an awesome edge to live with that every day I recognize that tomorrow's not guaranteed, but today is. I can usually see out about two to three years in our industry. Mm -hmm. so like, I have a good idea that 2022 is going to be a good year. It won't be a 2020 type year, but it'll be a good year. 2023 will be another good year. When I get to 2024, my vision gets really blurry. So I need to make sure that if there's money to be made today, I'm making it. Heck, I'm like 90 days out. You're way ahead of me. Yeah. I'm like trying to figure out rates went up a ton in the last. <laughs> Don't even days. look at your rate sheets. They've yeah. been crushed. <laughs> they have been crushed so, the past 30 days. Well, let's yeah. do this because we're, we're running a little bit short on time. <coughs> let's do Sorry. a rapid fire with Andy Burt. Let's do right? it. How many opportunities do you, how many times do you get an opportunity to sit down with a hundred plus million dollar producer mm -hmm. and, and really pick his brain? So let me just um, throw some stuff out. Whatever comes to mind, spit it out. Okay. You have an opportunity to talk to someone, you, 20 years ago. What advice would you give to yourself 20 years ago about entering into the mortgage business? You, gotta, you either got to have an unbelievable manager or hire an outside mentor or coach to give you a vision of a, a plan and a process to follow because you can get to where you need to be super fast if you have the right direction of what to do. Like I was doing all the work and I was doing it to the wrong people. And then all of a sudden someone said, hey, dummy, you're doing it this way. Why don't you do it this way? And all of a sudden my career went crazy. Okay. Awesome. What keeps you up at night? At, in this stage? Yes. It's actually more like the state of my team members. Okay. Than anything else. Caring about your people. Yeah. 
Yep, making sure you're doing the best by them. Yep, making sure that we're bringing in business to, so they got great careers and great. What know, do you jobs. love most about the mortgage industry? Um, and you can say the money. Well, there's multiple things. Yeah. I don't know if I can pinpoint it to no. one thing. So I think the upward trajectory of income is insane. Mm -hmm. Like on the top 5%. I think it's just not even a, a matched career compared to most industries. No. It's unbelievable. So that part's really great. I love living in a nice house. Yeah. And you do have a beautiful home. You have multiple beautiful homes over the past like five years. You guys have bought and sold and built a few homes, but you have a home now on the river, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we got a home, big, giant, 7,000 square foot home on water now, which is pretty sweet. It's definitely a dream thing that's mm -hmm. been, it was on my vision board for like 15 years. And you did it. And I did it. That's so, fantastic. Yep. Yeah, like, like the money is there, right? It's not easy, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. it, it took Andy 15 years of trial and error and, and, and stubbing his nub and stubbing his toe in order to, to figure it out. But with the money, I can tell people, it's not just your life that you're impacting. Mm -hmm. It's your community, it's your family, right? It's the organizations that you can donate to. Like, it is really awesome. And we talk a lot about the money in the, uh, on this particular uh, podcast, but in the industry in general. But most of us, like, we signed up for this because of the money, right? It was the money that intrigued us. Mm -hmm. It was like, man, I want an opportunity to go out there and I can dictate how much money I make based on how good I am. Yeah, now I got a goal of what can other people on my team make. Yes, I right. love that. So yeah. that, that is your new goal. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's interesting. We get a report, uh, and I'm not going to go too much into details on this, but uh, we get a report every single year on our group on what their W-2 earnings were. It's my favorite report. Um, I mean, you know, I, I get to go through because I don't, you know, I, you don't really know how much people are earning. You have an idea. Mm -hmm. But when I get that report, because as a manager, I have access to this. And I, I come home and I can't share the details with my wife, but I just tell her, I'm like, I'm so happy for about 10 people. Like, it just makes my heart smile when I look at what they've been able to do under our umbrella in this industry, following in the footsteps of the Andes and the Mollies and the Mikes, who just said, hey, guys, just get behind me, follow my lead, do as I do, and you too can make a, such an impactful change to your own life within other people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, last question. Andy Burton in high school, you have an opportunity to sit down with that knucklehead. What are you going to tell him? Uh, man, you got you to gotta stop thinking so short term, right? You know, you got to start thinking more visionary, a big picture of where your life's going to go, that the decisions you make at that time really do affect things long term. And uh, you don't need to be so hard on yourself, right? Like, you know, I'm at a the point now that it's more about understanding that you can be uh, content but not complacent. Okay. Right? And back then it was more, think big, man. Like, you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. I write some of the goals down now, and, it like, like, they get scary to think of, like, this is my goal to have money in the bank, and it's, like, sheer insanity. Right? Like, yep. where it's, like, this is insane. You, you probably feel the same way. You know, like what your end goal numbers are where like just think big and if you fall a little bit short it's better to think really big and fall a hair short than think super small and barely achieve that that's a perfect way to put a nice little bow on this episode andy burton thank you so much for your time he is andy burton he is out of the twin cities of saint paul in minneapolis 
He is with Waterstone Mortgage. He's a mega producer. Look him up. I'm sure if you Google Andy Burton, Minnesota Waterstone Mortgage, you can find all of his contact information, all of his social handles. Um, he's Andy. I'm Dustin. You've tuned into the Loan Officer Podcast. That's all the time we have for you today, but we will catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.